Welcome to the clubhouse, we be giving love out. Welcome to the clubhouse, we be giving love out. But if we catch you slipping, man, we gon' have to call you out. Welcome to the clubhouse, we be giving love out. We're recording a podcast on Thursday, March 12th. And, and you and I are sitting in a studio right now, Thursday, March 12th, 2020. And it seems like the whole world is crashing down right now. And that seems like it's uh, probably dramatic to certain people. Actually, to a lot of people, that will sound dramatic. But I'm talking about the sporting world. Everything is on its head right now. The NBA's canceled. I mean, the NCAA tournament is still going to be played with no fans in the stadiums for now. But, but who knows how long that's going to last. I mean, we, we had massive panic last night. Rudy Gobert has the, the coronavirus. And Tom Hanks has the coronavirus. And... Uh, there's a European travel ban last night. I'm telling you, man, this is this is one of those times where it's 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 cool to do what we do because we get to document where we were and, and to discuss these things. But this is one of those times that we will absolutely never forget, man. No, and I actually think it was a little intense how you started out with a nice cuss word, knowing that our parents are going to be listening. I, so. what, what am I supposed to say? <laughs> I mean, it was great emotion, Kyle. It got me going this morning. But you're right. Um, it's just this is something that we never thought would. You know, everybody joked about it and talked about it when it was in down there, in, uh, when it was in China, when it started out in Wuhan, and now you look up and it's it's right in our own backyard, and it's affecting the sports world and and affecting our everyday live livelihood. You know, when you have kids, you have you have work, you have jobs, you have all these other things, and now you don't even know if you can shake your own neighbor's hand. So everybody's just pounding them and, and walking by. And look, you got to start taking these things seriously. And I think the NBA's done a good job of really just trying to be ahead of this. And we're not, not going to be uh, reactive. They're going to be proactive. And I always give the NBA and Adam Silver uh, props for that because they always are the first league to be proactive when it comes to anything. Uh, they're the first ones to speak up and speak out, except for certain things that happened in China previously. But we don't have to go back that far. Let's just start in December and go from here. Well, I, yeah, but you know what? China's not a bad place to pick it up because as, as we were just talking about before I, I hit record on, on this podcast, I saw the headline over at CBSSports.com that read, Chinese Basketball Association reportedly told American players to return for the end of the season or face banishment. I mean, China, where this whole thing began, you talked about it, it's called the Wuhan virus to a lot of people, but you know, Wuhan, China is where this thing they believe originated. Uh, China has been dealing with it, grappling with it. They've seemingly gotten their arms around it, but you know, their Chinese Basketball Association postponed the season back in late January because of the coronavirus with a lot of the foreign-born players being sent back home to curb the risk of this virus spreading. Who knows how many of them brought it home with them at this point, but now the Chinese Basketball Association is saying, well, hey, we're reopening for business, and you American players get back over here and start playing again, or we might ban you for life, and you may never be allowed back in this league. I mean, that's that's very scary to even have to answer that decision, right, and have to make that decision because at the end of the day, I still haven't seen anybody in China walking around in the streets. It's not like we got film or video of anybody Things right. going back to normal. Now you want me to go back to where the the center of all this thing started, and uh, it, it's it's scary. It's uh, it's. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision to be able to provide for my family that's here in America and have to go back to where it all started. It, it's definitely something that's going to be tough for these athletes. What do they want to do? Uh, do they want to continue to try and chase that dream and that career of playing basketball and having to go back uh, just to be able to put yourself in, in dangerous harm and in, in harmful? 
in a harmful manner. So I, 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 it's a really hard place to be. I don't want to. I'm glad I'm not making that decision, Kyle. What would you do? Well, here's the thing. But before I say that, so just for, so everybody knows, there are roughly 40 American players who have contracts in the Chinese Basketball Association right now. Uh-huh. Uh, that includes Jeremy Lin, Lance Stevenson, Ty Lawson. Uh, and others that you probably know if you follow the sport of basketball, and and Jonathan Givoni reporting uh, or Givoni reporting that there are some players who have made it clear they have no intention of returning to China. Is that Lance Stevenson? I'm, I, I'm, no way, Lance Stevenson. I'm, I'm willing to bet money. Lance Stevenson ain't going back. I'm he, telling you, he ain't going back. Uh, and, and by the way, Stevenson had been in talks with the Indiana Pacers to rejoin the NBA. Oh yeah, he definitely ain't going back. He would need clearance from his team in China first, as well as FIBA to make that move. And now the NBA shut down as of last night. So let's rewind to that for a second. Because last night, I was sitting there like a lot of other people. Just Me like too. You were. I, I had the Hornets game on. Uh, by the way, the Hornets, uh, they, they finish like, what could be the end of the NBA season <laughs> with a pretty nice win in Miami against the Heat. But it's in the mid, like it's fourth quarter of that game. I think four minutes left to go, and I'm watching the Hornets and the Heat. And I see the, the news start to break. Rudy Gobert is tested positive for the coronavirus. And within minutes, the Woj bomb came. Adrian Wojnarowski mm-hmm, dropped, mm-hmm. and it was just a singular sentence. The NBA has suspended play for the rest of the season. And at that point, the whole world just kind of stopped and said, okay, this this might be a really big deal. This could be a really big problem. Now, before that, like I, I wasn't sure if, that, if this was real, but before that, probably, what, inside of 20 minutes, a deadline, maybe Variety, had reported that Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, yeah. had announced that they had contracted the coronavirus as part of a trip to Australia. Yep. So the day had already been weird. I was on the air in Charlotte, and, and I was doing live radio, and we knew there were some things probably coming down the pipe, but we didn't anticipate that. But during the show yesterday, you know, we got the news that the NCAA had suggested playing in empty arenas. Then minutes later, it was, no, we're going to play in empty arenas. Uh, the, the conference tournaments issued some statements. They let fans still go in last night. Which One of I, my friends was at, in Indianapolis last night. I understand people not wanting to be alarmist. I understand people who think this might be an overreaction or there's a lot of hysteria pushing this. I, I get it. I don't necessarily agree with you wholeheartedly yet, but I do understand that that might be a real possibility. I'm saying from my personal perspective, I I wouldn't have wanted to be in one of those arenas last night. I don't want to be sitting next to somebody. I don't know where they've been coughing on me and, you know, possibly transmitting a virus. We've already seen, you know, how many people that we now know have contracted the coronavirus. I I was just surprised that they made the decision in the ACC and the SEC last night to let people stay in those arenas. Uh, I was, you know, I didn't think it was that that crazy last night. And then everything started happening. Then I wake up this morning like, man, it was crazy. Like, just to know, it's almost like a a tornado hit right down the street from you and you Mm -hmm. You know, so your house is okay, but it was that close to you, and it still is that close to you right now. And, you know, looking up and being a former athlete, you know, everybody looks at us as they, they revere people that you put on this this pedestal or like Tom Hanks and his wife. Like, you put them on this pedestal because you feel that they're supposed to have the best or they they have better lives, and that's who you look to as outlets and, and heroes and things like that. That can happen to Tom Hanks. I mean, yeah, exactly, right? That's not what you would think. Because they have the best health care, they have the best doctors, they have all the best of this. But this is a very human aspect of what life is. Like it, Everybody can be affected by this, and you really have to take a step back, do what's best for everybody around you, which is take care of yourselves. Make sure we're doing all the little things right. Uh, our interactions between each other. Let's let's just be mindful of those things going forward and, and not just say, oh, it's just this. It's just write it off. Oh, it's just another flu-type thing. Or don't do that because... It's obviously not that. 
everybody doesn't react this way to the flu. We've had a vaccine, like you said, for the flu for like 50 years. Like, it's not the same, people. So let's not let's not treat it the same. Let's be more cautious about it. And let's be aware about the things that we're doing. And, and stop trying to just say whatever, like Rudy Gobert did. Oh, it's nothing, nothing, nothing. I and then like you're the guy that ends up with it that gives it to your teammate, Donovan Mitchell. So... And I can honestly say that I feel like he gave it to his teammate, Donovan Mitchell. Well, so, I, it, If I'm Donovan Mitchell, I mean, look, I'm not mad at him necessarily. But I, at the same time, I'll say this. I thought, what, I, I thought what, what Rudy Gobert did at the end of that press conference last night, while it might not have been with malicious intent, it was really stupid. I mean, and I thought it was really, really stupid. And it's not smart. I mean, to stand up and, and, yes, playfully, but to still stand up and rub your hands all over the reporter's you know, recording devices and, and to make it and touch the microphones and to make a big joke out of it. It's like, yeah, dude, we get it. You know, we, we, I think we all, anybody who's read up on this and is trying with some diligence to understand what the coronavirus is, what the seriousness is, what the impact has been around the world, we're all trying to understand it and to be as well-versed as possible because we just want to know. Yep. But the truth of the matter is, even if we don't think it's the Ebola virus or even if we don't think it's something that would kill us on contact, don't do that. That's really stupid. You're in a league right now, to your point, where Adam Silver has been out in front on this. They've been progressive. They're saying, look... We're shutting this thing down. And and to be honest, the first time a player tested positive, that was probably going to be the trigger that shut yep. everything down anyway. But they I, were just hoping that, that wasn't gonna, it wasn't going to come to that. They were going to try and be in front of it. And they tried to warn players last week, a week and a half ago, they were talking about this. And they tried to be in front of it. And, man, this this wave happened really fast, Kyle. This is This is all happening within our show right now. Different things are happening, and you just can't control it. And at the end of the day, you want to be out in front of it, and you want to be prepared for it. At least they're prepared for it. And uh, a lot of just normal, everyday citizens are not going to be prepared for it. They're scared. They don't know. And you don't want to be the kid that's sick, right? You don't want to be the person that's sick, and now you're kind of nervous or you're questioning things. I mean, my wife wakes up every day talking about, I don't know, am I feeling warm? Am I doing my sniffling? Or Like, every morning. You can turn into a hypochondriac really quickly. (laughs) Really quickly. Like, it's scaring even more people. So, and and not even talking about the hospital people that aren't prepared for this and not enough beds and not enough staff. And we're not fully prepared for this. And I just want us to be, continue to educate ourselves on this and just be smart. Let's just be smart so we can at least have some kind of control of our own destiny. Well, let's talk about a bit more of what's happening in sports because – uh, looking around the league or around the world of sports right now, yes, the NBA is shut down. Yes, the NCAA tournament for now will be played in, in empty arenas, possibly in different smaller venues. And by the way, we'll talk about a lot of this coming up in just a bit with, with our guest here in episode four, Paul Feinbaum. We'll get his thoughts on this, having covered the NCAA for a long time. But, you know, college basketball, they're making some tough decisions. They were also, they got a scare with Fred Hoiberg, you know, who was on the bench. Had taking, to leave. Middle of the game. Hospital of the Big Ten tournament <laughs> against Indiana. Uh, they, they later announced he does not have the coronavirus. It was just flu. It was a flu, it were flu-like symptoms, but, I mean, who would know <laughs> at that point? So they're making decisions on that. Individual leagues and conferences are making decisions. The Ivy League said, screw this. We're not a part of this anymore. We're shutting everything down. <laughs> they did. And, and they're just getting out altogether. I mean, it's a, but what do you do when the players and the coaches speak out against you when you do when you're trying to do something to protect them and they're like, no, I want to play. I can't tell everybody else what to do, but I can tell you the way that I try to see things. And, and you know this about me at this point. Like I am a militantly moderate person. Like I, I believe with most almost everything in life, the, the answer is somewhere in the middle, you know, and, and the people who are, are peddling in fear and, and trying to fear monger as a way to, to push an agenda because of this, they're in the wrong. 
the people who are dismissing this as nothing, you know, and pretending as if nothing's wrong. I read a story the other day that uh, there was a, a very affluent family in St. Louis who traveled to Europe and said they were told to self-quarantine for two weeks by the local government. They said, now nah, we're not doing that. And they went around town to different restaurants and to schools and everything else. I mean, the, the people on the fringes, like the people on our political fringes, the far right. right, the far left, the extremists, the people that I don't really deal with because I just, I can't. Yep. They're the same kind of people in this discussion. It's either we're all going to die and this is the worst <laughs> thing that's ever happened to humanity. Or on the other side, oh, this ain't nothing. You know, this has nothing on the flu. I don't know any actual facts about epidemiology or medical or, or medicine, but I'm just telling you, I've got a feeling this is just all media-driven mass hysteria. <laughs> Both of them are wrong. I mean, both of those sides are very wrong in this. You don't need to panic, but you should probably take it seriously, which is why you're seeing the reaction that you've seen from all these various leagues, because you don't want to be the league that underreacts. You, you don't want to be the league that if this thing takes another turn for the worse and there is loss of life or, you know, there is a massive impact on public health or the economy or all of the above, you don't want to be the league that's underreacting, which right now, in my opinion, is what Major League Baseball is doing. And I, you know I'm a baseball guy. You are. Major League Baseball, right, as of this moment in time, now this may change by the time you and I finish this podcast episode, but as of right now, Major League Baseball uh, is looking into, with the Seattle Mariners trying to move the season opening home series against the Rangers from Seattle because of its proximity to the epicenter of the outbreak here in the United States. Here's a thought. Hunker down at your, tra- your spring training facilities and don't play baseball right now. You, you've had tens of thousands of people coming through spring training facilities that have either possibly been exposed or exposed uh, players and coaches and, and staffers. Just stop. You know, th- th- this is the only time in my lifetime I've seen anything like this. And so long as it, it gets under control and we can get back to normal eventually, sports will resume. But if you just try to continue to be bullheaded about it and, and to force play and to force things because you don't want to, what, lose money? at the expense of people's long-term health. Like, I, you and I have talked about this, and I, I know I could go on all day. The, the popular refrain now is, it's only, it's only hurting the elderly. It's only old people or people <laughs> with underlying conditions. And to some extent, that's true. But if you listen to people like Michael Osterholm, who was on with Joe Rogan on the podcast a couple of days ago, one of the two or three leading public health officials in this country, he served multiple presidential administrations, both political parties. He's a bipartisan medical expert. He's saying, well, there's a little bit of a misconception that this is only hurting the elderly. And he called this the coronavirus winter and saying that we're only in the first week of this thing and that we are not prepared medically, economically, infrastructurally for what's about to come. And these are serious matters. Again, it's not alarmist. It's saying, okay, we got a problem. Let's all kind of come together. Let's circle the wagons. Yep. Let's figure out a way to get this under control so that we can go back about our daily lives. It's not about running around being chicken little predicting the sky's going to fall. No, and just being smart about it because what if you are part of the, the group that hunkers down and, like, contains your own and, like, all right, we're feeling good about where we're at. Now you got somebody from the outside that wants to come in that's been around and, and not taking anything serious and they're going to do what they want to do, like the family you spoke about. How do you How are you going to take them in or how do you – handle them coming around. I think that is another part of it that we don't know how other people are reacting or treating themselves. And now you're trying to interact and everybody being around each other and not being weird about it or trying to say like, no, you can't be here. Or It's just so many questions. And, um, and nobody thought that it would react and, and kind of take over the sports world as fast as we did. Kyle, we were just on the radio last Tuesday and we were talking about this and we're like, uh, I think it's going to be okay, but we just don't know. And now we look up a week later, and it's way, way further along in this thing. And I think it would be okay for baseball to miss 50 games, 60 games, just to continue to pick it up for 120 and then see where you're at after that and just do it from there. I don't think you're going to miss anything by everybody taking concerns 
you putting health over money. Like, the, put health over money for the first do, time, do you, do and I think we'll be okay. Do you public to just figure this out on their own? Because as of a couple of days ago, there were at least some people thinking that snorting cocaine and drinking bleach would kill the coronavirus. So you just trust the public to figure this out. No, you should probably listen to the medical experts <laughs> and the public health officials. I'm so glad I didn't read wherever you read that out. Oh, I mean, it's, it's look, I, I do I think that the majority know. But, I mean, you just can't. People need to be given. There's so much misinformation out there. Yes. It's bad information. And I, and I don't pretend to be an authority or an expert. I'm just trying to read and gather all the information that I can. And and you said a second ago we were talking about the, the demographics and who's affected. And I've, I've heard sports fans say things like, well, you know, the, the people who are most effective just need to stay home. You know, or, or those people shouldn't come to games or go out in public. Well, that, that is such an oversimplification. I don't even know where to begin because what we're learning about this, this disease right now is that children actually aren't that affected by it at all. But they're very much carriers of the virus. Right. They're vectors of the virus. And so little Johnny might go to, to elementary school and sit through the day just fine and feel completely okay. But then little Johnny goes home and hugs grandpa and grandpa ends up in the ICU later that night. And, 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 and those are things that you really have to take into consideration. Somebody else's grandparent who might otherwise be healthy or could have an underlying condition could be doing all the proper things and it gets taken home to them because we haven't done the right things publicly. And, and then on top of that, I mean, just to hear the, the medical experts talk about the, the infrastructure and already not having enough hospital beds as it is, you know, and, and then adding to the mix legitimate coronavirus cases that are going to need to be treated, the fear that's going to drive people into hospitals and doctor's offices thinking they have coronavirus, and those are taking up doctors, hospital beds, doctors and nurses are becoming infected. That's the case in China, South Korea, Italy yep. right now. They're having to, t to make wartime triage decisions in Italy right now as to who gets treatment and who doesn't. They're basically picking who, who dies and who lives in certain cases. And I'm not saying it's going to get to that point, but I'm saying that's how real it is in other parts of the world. So not allowing fans into a basketball game doesn't seem really all that significant by comparison, does it? No, not at all. And they're doing it for you. They're doing it to help you. And people don't really realize that because they're emotionally attached and they just want to see basketball. They want things to continue to go. Like, they're not worried about what's not affecting them at the now. And at the end of the day, like this can affect so many more people later on down the road. So let's let's be let's do everything that we can for the now to protect ourselves. And look, I'm even one of those that got stomped, all right? I've been prancing around my house the last two weeks like, babe, like it's really not affecting black people that much. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're kinda all right. She's like, that you don't know that. You don't know that. I'm like, I kinda know that. And now Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, I wake up, I'm like, God. Shit. <laughs> I, I whiffed on that. <laughs> I totally whiffed on that. I whiffed on that one. Internet is not undefeated. The thing that pisses me off about it, too, is that just people want to fucking politicize. Pardon my language. They want to politicize everything. It's got. We've got to engage in the Facebook politics of the coronavirus now. I don't want to the, do that. The, I know, but the, the, the right thinks the left is, is fear-mongering to blame it on President Trump so that he loses the election. You know, they'll point to, well, there, there's been a, a, a virus outbreak in, in all these different election years. What's different about this? <laughs> Look, the bottom line is, I mean, no matter who you vote for, I think we all kind of need to be rooting for this administration to get it right. Yes, please. nobody wants a pandemic to get worse. No. I don't care who you voted for. Quite I frankly. don't either. I don't think the president brought the coronavirus here no. i don't think the president's going to single-handedly run the coronavirus out of the country i really don't i think we need leadership i think we need to listen i think it's a collective effort but i just get so tired of of the facebook politics over so much of this stuff it's a it's a global pandemic it's a virus it may not kill us all it may get worse i don't know i'm listening to medical experts who are saying 
We're going to figure this thing out as we go. And it's probably going to get a little worse. Just understand, it's probably going to get a little worse before it gets better. And I think that's what dealing with everything in life, right? Like when you first get, like, if I get a flat tire, right, on the way home, knock on wood, I do not. That's like the worst of my day, right? It's pretty bad. And then eventually it's going to get better because I'll probably get it fixed and then my car will continue to roll on and it's not I'm not broken down the, on the side of the road for the rest of the day. So I think that's everything in life. Uh, it comes in cycles like that. And you just have to continue to just try and get through it. And I just hope everybody's doing the best that they can to protect themselves. And we got to be smart about this. Let's really, really, really be smart about this going forward. I mean, think about what's – I mean, we already know what's been impacted. And Major League Baseball's figuring things out. The NHL's working on many of the same policies. I'm just uh, glad football, NFL's not on right now because we would be the absolute worst. The NFL is always the slowest to do anything. Did you see Marlon Humphrey last night? Marlon Humphrey tweeting, the NFL would never. Come on, dude. Somebody take his phone away from him, first of all. Second of all, the NFL should ever, if this ever happens. I, to, I would it, hope so. I would but, hope so, too. But the NFL is so slow to do anything. Well, They're right. so not proactive. They're always very much so reactive after everything else is kind of you know, flipped over and landed on its side. So I'm just glad the NFL is not in right now so then they can do some things. We also heard about some teams, I think the Eagles or the Chiefs, are saying that their scouting staff, they're shutting them down for right now yeah. for fear of that. And then you look at my, my Saints team like, nah, bro, status quo. We're still going. Well, it makes sense because the, the idea <laughs> the idea behind this is social distancing. That's why we're trying to keep large crowds, you know, from, from coming together. We're trying to keep people, you know, as, as spread out as possible because when you don't have a vaccine – you know, and you don't have, first of all, you don't have one developed, nor do you have it mass produced or available all over the country or the world to help address this. Y- you have to try to keep people away from each other so it doesn't continue to spread rapidly. We don't even have testing. Well, it, it, well, the testing's now coming around. I think they've got, they, last I saw they had a, a test that can be turned around in eight hours. I saw that this morning, as opposed to what they had a couple of days ago, which was a test that took two or three days to figure out. <laughs> Right, so imagine in two or three days how much you could spread a virus while you're right. waiting on test results. It, it's th- these things are just they're common sense, but it's frustrating, right? Because you and I are not medical professionals. We no. actually talk sports for a living, and so I try to not get over my skis on this stuff. I try not to pretend that I'm a, a medical professional or a public health official, but some of this stuff's common sense. And and I, if you don't want to be sick, you know, if there's a massive outbreak of a virus or a sickness or any kind of plague, the last thing you, the last place you want to be is around a shitload of people. You don't want to be there. No. And so, I mean, look, I grew up in the mountains. If this shit gets real bad, I'm just going right back to the top of the mountain, and I'm going to sit there until this thing's all done. That's what I told my wife. We're going back to the mountains. We're just going to sit there, and I'll sit in a tree stand until this thing gets itself figured out. Hey, I, I would love – I just make sure I got an invite, all right? <laughs> I'll give you directions. Yeah. Thank you. I'll drop Thank you. you. I'll drop you a pen so you can get there. <laughs> it's So, again, getting back to it, the – you got college football canceling spring games, by the way. Ohio State, Michigan, they've already canceled their spring games. I've heard Cincinnati do the same. That's going to keep coming, by the way. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Are, are they still practicing? Are these kids no longer going to class? Like, how are you going to continue to keep a hold of these kids and make sure they stay out of trouble is what I always worry about when you let, you know, college kids just run rampant and things like that, and you want to protect them because no matter what you do, if you do not allow them in your building or you're saying you're not going to be here, these kids are still hanging out together somewhere else, all right? It's not like – they're just, oh, I'm just sitting here by myself, and I'm only talking on my own cell phone. That's not happening. So these kids are still congregating somewhere. So you just still have to be smart about that and make sure that we're still doing the best that we can. And we all know college campuses and college bars are some of the dirtiest places I've ever been. And they don't have soap in the bathrooms all the time. They don't have cleaning things to help you stay clean and washed and all those other things. So 
let's just be smart about it. And also, we need to do our part. Well, and some of the other things here, by the way, just another update, uh, Major League Soccer, MLS, has suspended its league now for 30 days because of the coronavirus, so they're shutting down operations too. Um, and I will say one of the heartening things that, that's come out of this is, you know, while the, the season— it's the NFL draft, uh, that's going to be well, right next on the list. That's going to be something to watch, right? Because we're right. just over a month away from that. And with all this, the, the, the pro days, all those things leading up to it, because now the NFL teams are going to be like, well, did I have enough time to be able to get all my scouts out to the places I wanted to go to? Right. And then—but you're still expecting me to draft and understand everybody, all the prospects. So now it could be other guys following through the cracks. This could affect so many more people— than what you really understand when it comes to the the the, the magnitude of all the – everything goes into the NFL draft. I speak upon what I know the most. The NFL draft and all that whole scouting process, how they evaluate, how you get guys on the draft board, all that will be affected by this. The, the economy of sports is a big one, right? It, mm-hmm. It's not the biggest part by any stretch, but it's no. a big one. And and it's going to impact the the economy in a, in a significant way. It's going to impact the sporting economy, obviously. You talked about uh, the draft – the Redskins, the Bucks, other teams have suspended all travel for coaches and scouts, keeping them off the road, which you just said. And now there's some recommendations that the NFL should push back to start a free agency, which I, I think makes all the sense in the world. Completely. Or, think, think about some of these guys who might be set to make a lot of money this this free agent period. What what if this what if this ordeal lingers, you know, for weeks or even a couple of months? What does that mean for those guys? What does that mean? How do you sort that out in the collective bargaining agreement, right? Because we have these deadlines, and you know, guys are supposed to get paid a set amount of money or what the market says is what they're chasing. And there are a lot of variables. The new, the new calendar year is going to hit in what, March 12th, 14th, 19th, one of those days. And uh, so all of that's going to be right there. Are they going to push that back? Are you Because you still got to meet about all these things and you don't want anybody congregating together, quote unquote, but we still have to find a way to do this and, uh, and continue to do our business mind and get business done. In, in spite of like all of these outside factors that are affecting your business that you have no control over. I think that's a very play, hard place to be right now. Um, but that is the world that we're living in right now. And you got to do what's best for everybody right now. I think they need to be ahead of that. They need to be proactive on that. They need to push some things back uh, with the whole CBA negotiations, the whole vote from the players union. Everything needs to kind of like it's all in limbo. I think they need to re- continue to educate guys that, hey, let's not rush. This actually gives guys more time to read things through a fine comb, really really dig in a little bit more, do more information, do more due diligence on the decisions that you're going to be making that affects not only you but your career, the organization that you work for, and everything else around the NFL life, livelihood, and locker rooms right now. You should really, really uh, take this time and, and take a step back Take a deep breath and let's really get into this thing. Well, I think, again, what I said a minute ago, one of the heartening things that's come out of the last 12 hours or so is, you know, just the realization by some people that, you know, athletes who make a lot of money, they can hunker down for a good long while. They're fine. Yes, they can. But a lot of these arena workers and a lot of these hourly wage workers who work at these arenas, it's how they pay their bills, pay their mortgage. Mark Cuban brought that up in the middle of the middle of the game when he found out. That was one of the first things he brought up was, what about the hourly people that work at this arena? That's, like, and that's the concern. You know? That's concern for that's, him. That's a general economy concern, too, because you know there are a lot of you know working-class, blue-collar people. They can't telework. No, they, they don't. They can't sit at home on a laptop. That's not what they do. You've got and craft, their children that have got, school that are all of a sudden may get canceled. And you, what are they going to do with the kids? You've got craftsmen. You've got tradesmen. You've got truck drivers. I mean, these, these people that, that can't work remotely. And if operations get shut down, they're out of a paycheck. 
You know, and, and then again, that's got a, a massive ripple effect on the economy, which is the big fear for a lot of people. And that's where it ties back into some of the election and the political arguing that you know, this is being used as a, a tool. It's being weaponized against the current administration or trying to you know, thwart the, his, Donald Trump's reelection campaign. But whatever your case may be, everyday people are being impacted by this. And I'm far more concerned personally about how everyday people are being impacted. If you can't work remotely, you know, if, if you can't withstand being off work for a week, two weeks, three weeks, because your company has to shut down because public health officials are telling you that your company or what you do for a living isn't tenable in the middle of a global pandemic, well, what are you supposed to do, right? And, and I think that's where the frustration for some people is that, that it's, it's hysteria, it's media-driven, we're making too big. We're, we got to strike a balance here, you know, and it's not an easy thing to do, and I'm not pretending that it is. You just can't fear monger and you can't be dismissive, but you feel for the people that are affected like that. Mark Cuban said, we're going to do something for these folks. Uh, Cody Zeller here in Charlotte said last night on Twitter, we're going to start a fund for the workers at the arena to make sure they got what they need while we're out of work. That's awesome. I mean, I, I host the Hornets pregame show and, and that's part of my income, you know, and I'm not crying about it, but like that's, I'm not going to be working for the next couple of weeks doing that. And mm -hmm. so I'm going to be okay, but what about the people who won't? And I'm, I'm sure they're concerned and, and scared about that right now thinking, well, I feel fine. And everything around me seems kind of normal, but you're telling me I, what I do for a living or to make my money, I can't do that anymore. So now what do I do? That's got to be a scary part. Um, for all those great, crazy uh, political people you're talking about on Facebook, like maybe we should start some things saying like, Maybe we don't have to pay rent for like a month or two until we figure this out. I would love that in yeah, my house. Good, good luck convincing yeah. the, the, the mortgage industry just to give everybody a pass on, on their mortgage payment for a month or two. I guess it's possible individual companies might do that, but I, I'm not really all that optimistic. I, there's, I feel like I'm just drinking out of a fire hose. Don't you? I mean, honestly. I, I, you know what? I'm a pass on that, Kyle, with drinking out of the fire hose. But look, this is a scary moment in time right now because the, the, the part that's scary to everybody is, that is just the unknown. Right. Yeah. People are always people are not scared to die. It's being dead. That scares everybody. I think that is the thing that everybody wants to talk about because you, you do stuff every day that could kill you. But right. it's be, the fact of being dead is what scares everybody. And, uh, and and until you address the unknown, that is where we're at right now. It's so much unknown out there because we don't know a neighbor could have it. Uh, your kid could have it like uh, the kid that goes to school with your kid could have it like though. That is the unknown. And until. We all know who has it and who doesn't, and how can we offset this, or where's the cure at, or what can we do once something happens? Um, the the fear of the unknown is what the the biggest thing and the biggest problem for for me personally right now. Yeah, well, and I was thinking about that, you know, just the unknown and the fact that, you know, it, somebody texted my show yesterday and said something to the effect of, you know, what's the big deal? You know, we. Uh, we know about CTE and we still want football anyway. You know, we, we know about CTE and we still play football anyway. These guys are modern day gladiators. You know, it's a virus. They ought to play through it. And I was just kind of stunned by that. And I, I responded to the, to the guy and I said, you can't pass CTE to another person. You, you can't pass that on as a, in the form of a virus and, and certainly not unknowingly. Like you're talking about the unknown. The unknown is being out there wondering is the guy that I'm guarding, does he have the coronavirus, right? Do, do I have anything in me, an underlying health issue that I don't know about, that if I contracted that virus, you know, it, it might lead to my own demise or, yeah. you know, that, that kind the of thing. The first time I'm covering somebody and he coughs. Magic Johnson. Think of Magic Johnson. The reaction to Magic Johnson after he tested positive for HIV that, that eventually forced him to retire. Now, he eventually made a, a comeback in the All-Star game and all that, but, I mean, Carl Malone famously said he didn't want to be on the same floor with a guy who had HIV. Mm -hmm. like, people don't, they don't like... They're terrified of the unknown. I think most people feel that way. Not all, 
but not understanding it, not knowing how it could impact you, not knowing where it is, not knowing when it's going to pop up, that's scary to people. And that's always going to be scary to people. Yeah, it's it, that's the... That is the part of life that we do not know and we don't, we'll never really truly understand. And I mean, that's why you got to do what you can to protect yourselves. I, I really am harping on that. I'm not going to back off of that. My family, my kids, we, we will do what's best for us right now in this scary time of America and the whole world. It's not just America, but the whole world. I mean, Italy, they shut down the whole country. I mean, 16 million people or however many people couldn't go anywhere. They were all quarantined, self-quarantined. You can't go outside. And uh, I, I don't think America will get to that because people will go crazy. But um, it, we are definitely heading in, in places that we've never seen before. Not in my lifetime. I've never witnessed or been around anything like this. No, none of the rest of it feels all that significant. Nothing else in sports right now feels important. But they're still going to, at least as of right now, play the NCAA tournament in, in empty gyms. Now, I say empty. They're, they're expecting to have essential personnel. I think credentialed media will be allowed in. Not all of them, but, but some credentialed media will be allowed in. It won't be me and you. No, it will not. They'll have essential personnel for the building and I think some limited family attendance, and that's it. And, and that's the plan right now. I'm still not convinced that that's the way this thing goes, but right now that is their plan. And so when I just said a minute ago, nothing else feels important, let's talk about that for a second before we, we get to Paul Feinbaum because – Watching NCAA tournament games in empty arenas is going to be bizarre. And the upset will be will be really hard to pull off with no crowd behind you. And, you know, when you got that, that neutral crowd who's always rooting for the underdog, and then next you know the underdog team is up and they got a little crowd going behind them, way bigger than their, their own traveling crowd, because everybody wants to see the upset. Everybody's cheering for the Cinderella. So to not have that environment, it's going to be really hard to pull off. And I just – and this is very selfish for me to say, but I would love for them to kind of get to Selection Sunday so then I could at least pick out a really good bracket knowing that nobody's going to be in the crowd. You know what? Here's the thing, though. Like, picking out a bracket is going to be – I can't say it's going to be that much harder if they do play these games. You know, but some of these regional sites are like de facto home court advantages for mm -hmm. some of these teams. Like, if you're – you know, if, like, I mean, just for I, – I don't have the, uh, the regions in front of me right now, but – if you're playing within an hour or two of, of your home campus, right, you, you typically get a home court advantage out yes, of Yes, you do. You're not going to get that this time. And how will that impact Vegas spreads, right? There's been some studies done in the past that, you know, where they had to play some games in empty arenas uh, for other reasons. Like, you know, over in Europe they've played in empty stadiums because of uh, racial harassment, you know, in some of these soccer leagues and things like mm -hmm. that. They've, it's actually it's impacted the way that officials have called games. And at times, it's been the, the visiting team that's been the beneficiary of those calls as opposed to the home team. I'm taking down notes as you're saying all this. I, I just, well, I wouldn't, I don't take my word for it. I'm just, <laughs> I'm regurgitating some stuff that I've read. But, I mean, think about that. Not, not just the, the games themselves, but how does the television production change? What's that going to look like? And, you know, I think it's going to be a novelty at first because everybody's going to want to know what does March Madness in an empty gym look like. But by the time you get to the round of 32 or the Sweet 16, and, and maybe there are a couple of upsets and teams that you wouldn't ordinarily watch, but, you know, they're playing in an empty gym now. How much are you going to be into that if that's the case? And especially if all this is still going on around us. Not only that, but as these teams travel to and fro, like once yeah. you go away and then you have to come back in a week or four or five days, like things could happen in those four or five days. We have seen that and witnessed it. Like since last week when we were on our show, regular radio show, we've seen in things how much things have changed in seven days. So it's going to be the the fact of the unknown that we're speaking of is we can forecast and predict and trying to do all these other things. But 
we just don't know because things could change like they have middle of this podcast it's changed you know uh, tremendously absolutely and again just just scanning the news right now just seeing what what people are writing talking about i if you go to, to google news right just just take a look right now when you're and it might depend on when you're listening to this but you know it's it's thursday afternoon right now and i'm looking at google news which is the the google news aggregator on the sports section the first 50 stories are all about how coronavirus is impacting sports nobody's talking about anything else that's it. Free agency is a is an afterthought in the NFL. Um, you know, the only thing anybody cares about with opening day in Major League Baseball is whether or not they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. The NBA's already been shut down, and now we're looking at all the different updated cases of, of who's been tested positive for the coronavirus. This has brought the world to a halt, and, and sports is no different. So with all that said, uh, we will bring in our next guest here on Episode 4, as we told you we would, and he's no doubt got some great perspective on this. One of the all-time great voices in college football, uh, formerly with uh, with WJOX down in Birmingham, he was a known him very man, well newspaper man way back in the day. But uh, his career took off, and the Paul Feinbaum show became a staple of sports talk listening in, in the Southeast. And then he went on to greater heights with ESPN, the SEC Network. We welcome on the great Paul Feinbaum to the Clubhouse Podcast. And joining us now, as promised, here on the Clubhouse Podcast, the great Paul Feinbaum. With us, joining us, SEC Network, ESPN, goes all the way back to the days in Birmingham, WJOX. He's one of the great voices in the industry and sports. He's one of the guys that I've looked up to for a long time in this business. Paul Feinbaum is with us once again here on the Clubhouse Podcast. Paul, it's a pleasure, buddy. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, Thank you so much for the honor of uh, being on with one of the great broadcasters and one of the all-time great Alabama football players. (laughs) There you go. I do love Paul, but, you know, me and Paul have a past. Well, he has much more of a past than I do, and I've just – I've only known Paul for so long of just – of who he is, this or this great writer – and this guy that used to just beat up on my team when I was at Alabama. He said, Paul, is that true? Well, hey, Roman, you uh, you should have hung around a couple of years because after you left, uh, I quit beating up on Alabama. <laughs> then you became a BAM, Paul. It's crazy. I mean, how oh, time yeah, no, just there's, there's, has evolved. No question. I'm, I was all in. But uh, it's amazing what, what, uh, what five national championships in nine years will do for your attitude towards your home team. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Paul, th- there's a lot we want to get to, and I know you're a busy man, so we'll try to get it all in as quickly and as efficiently as possible. But I think there's only one place to start on a day like this. Uh, yesterday was one of those days in, in our business that you'll never forget where you were. And most of us were sitting behind a microphone or in a production studio or somewhere in the building getting set to talk about it on some platform to some audience. But yesterday, as I was on the air here in Charlotte, it just kept coming down. The NCAA tournament's going to play without fans, and, and then possibly not at all. The NBA later the, that evening cancels the rest of the season. Rudy Gobert tests positive. Uh, Tom Hanks and his wife announced they've tested positive for the coronavirus. Is there anything in your long, distinguished broadcasting career that you could even begin to compare to this? No, and, and of course, Kyle, uh, we were doing the same thing across town from you. And uh, the, the reason, I, I mean, certainly uh, being on the air during 9-11 was, was just, uh, you know, something I've never, never wanted to experience again. But the difference was, that occurred early in the morning. So by the time we came on in the afternoon, we were more just reacting with sorrow and, and pain and, and, and resolve. This was breaking uh, minute by minute. I mean, yesterday, uh, I don't think there's been a sports day quite like this when you when you start with every little thing that happened. And, and, and it just continued on into the night. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the NCAA decision was one thing. 
But when uh, you, you, you had uh, the events of, of late last night uh, with the NBA uh, and then the and then uh, Hoiberg during the Big Ten tournament, I mean, the, the combination of those two were, were just simply uh, – I mean, it felt like the world was literally coming to an end. What, what do you think about – speaking of the NCAA, right, we know that as of right now at this moment in time as we record this podcast – they're going to continue to play some conference tournament games with no fans in attendance. Right now, the plan is still to play the NCAA tournament uh, with essential personnel and some limited family attendance. I don't know if that will change. It ultimately may still change. But as of right now, what do you think of that decision? Does it make sense, especially given you know what the NBA just did and what we think other leagues might be about to do? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense. I think what, what, what Mark Emmert did yesterday was the right decision on that at that time. Uh, I think the bigger question is you know what happens next week and 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 as i say next week i should be saying like maybe a couple hours from now so so i think that's really a difficult call and i think this thing could change so dramatically uh that it may be a mood issue um it, the answer may be self-explanatory i think i'm more conflicted by what's going on with the conferences, uh, I mean, they, fans should not have been allowed in any place last night, mm-hmm. whether in Greensboro or, or Indianapolis or mm-hmm. or Nashville or, or anywhere else. I mean, I think that was a really bad decision, knowing what was happening around them. But uh, but again, sports leagues are all uh, in it for uh, the profit, and, and I think it was it was ridiculous. Now, it was a domino effect. I mean, and it was interesting. I thought that the ACC and the SEC were the the two late the, the two the last two power five conferences to make the call um i, I mean i, I mean I, I know there are conversations going on in greensboro and nashville and everywhere else today you know what to do but but it, it, it was clear to me one thing was clear to me the that the conferences who are supposed to work in concert with the ncaa were all blindsided by mark emmert's decision i mean that that was pretty obvious uh, otherwise you would have seen everyone come out at the same time you know, Paul, this is a very fluid situation right now because, we, like you said, we really have no idea what's going to happen even this afternoon. My friend last night was at the, the game in Indianapolis, and he's there with a whole bunch of people. And what is going to – as the NCAA prepared and ready, if some – you know, because we're not testing these players in college right now. So if anybody gets sick or anything happens, I know they're young and athletic, but are we prepared for that if all of a sudden now uh, a guy in the NCAA comes out and is, ends up being sick or has this disease? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and, and um, I mean I, I could I don't I don't I don't know uh, I I think the answer is probably not because I don't think anybody's prepared for this. Uh, I, I can only I can tell you my my own personal uh, experience is uh, I was supposed to be in Nashville all week. Uh, I had surgery uh, about about seven weeks ago, um, and my wife, who happens to be a physician, uh, looked at me Sunday. She said, uh, when, I mean, she kind of knew I was going, and then I said, I'm leaving Wednesday. And she said, are, are you are, are you out of your mind? And, uh, you know, I'd flown last week to New York. I'd flown somewhere the week before. I mean, this is, these are not things you think about. Um, and, and I started thinking about it, and uh, I made the decision not to go, and I'm really glad I didn't because, um, you know, you, you hear the doctors all the time. I mean, underlying conditions are, are, are the most serious for people. Um, and certainly I, I have that. Um, I mean, I'm perfectly healthy, but, you know, any t- I mean, Roman, you've had surgery. I, mm-hmm. It takes a while to completely return to health. And uh, getting this virus or, or anyone getting it isn't, isn't, isn't the ticket. So I, I just don't know. I don't think there's a template for it. I, I think 
I think the Adam Silver uh, is probably the smartest of all the commissioners, and you know he didn't waste a second. Uh, yes, he and is. I found it interesting that even on the the board of governors call yesterday, there were some franchises, namely the New York Knicks, who still didn't want to go along with the fans. But uh, it's not a surprise that uh, the Jim Dolan wouldn't wouldn't go would be trying to suck the last dollar out of, out of any person uh, you know, running the New York Knicks. So I I think I think I think everyone's looking around. There's I haven't seen very much leadership by anyone, um, and I haven't seen much precaution. Um, but I, but I think as we speak today, uh, a week away from the start of the NCAA basketball tournament, I I, I would probably predict today. Uh, that we won't have the tournament next week. If that, I mean, I know that's a long answer to get to that, that but that, that's that's where I am. I'm, I agree with you, and I think it's because we're learning more and more every day and because, you know, th- this has arrived in America, but it's already been in various parts of the world, and we're just catching up to the rest of the world, and, and our response is going to be very telling, and it will be, you know, obviously a, a huge indicator of what we do moving forward. I, I do have a question for you from a media perspective, too, because before the cancellations and before the, the postponements, you saw these leagues, and in particular the NBA, I think Major League Baseball, NHL, MLS as well, institute this eight-foot buffer rule between players and the media, coaches and the media. And I, I do believe it was well-intentioned, but I also kind of wondered at the time, well, if, if you're this afraid of the media but not afraid of 20,000 people coming into the building to breathe on these players, you know, how effective can this policy be? And you, you've seen our contemporaries in the media predicting this could be the sure. end of media access and that sort of thing. What did you think of that policy, and do you think it's a way for these organizations and leagues to try to keep the media at, at a distance for a while? Well, uh, you know, Robin, Robin and, and, uh, knows my background, so do you, Kyle. I mean, I used to be a newspaper reporter. Um, right. And, but I'm going to surprise you a little bit. I, I mean, it doesn't concern me because, quite frankly, <laughs> you, the, the, none of these leagues want to deal with the media anyway. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the idea of a, of a writer uh, opining that uh, this is just another uh, another effort, uh, this is – they, I mean, Robin, you're a former player. If you didn't have to talk to some newspaper reporter, I, I'm sure it wouldn't have phased you in the least. I'd be uh, so happy. These leagues have arrangements with, with television partners, and, and that's all they care about. And I say that being a former newspaper reporter and now working at ESPN. Uh, that's just the way it is. Um, and and I'm sorry uh, for my former colleagues that, that are getting shut out even more than they were being shut out, but uh, it's only going to get worse. It, it, I, I don't. I, I think it's a precaution. Everyone moves uh, after it's follow the leader, um, but but that is not the biggest concern right now, as you as both of you know. I mean, the biggest concern is is endangering large groups of people, and even if you have a, a basketball game uh, today. Uh, with, uh, you know, 100, I mean, you still have to open the building. You still have to transport uh, things into the building. And uh, you're, you're inviting a lot of problems. And, and I, I love people that call in your, your show and mine and say, hey, you know, all you got to do is wash your hands. <laughs> you can wash your hands every five minutes, and it's not going to stop you if you're sitting uh, within close proximity of one of these people who has the virus. And you know what? You, that's my, my my wife right now is killing the house right now. We got to wash our hands every thirty five seconds to do anything. And selfishly, Paul, I just want to know your opinion on the fact of. So will they go on with selections Saturday? We like pick all the teams, and then so I'll get and not play the NCAA tournament. So then I got more time to pick out my bracket and have a better chance to win this thing. <laughs> Man, just said he doesn't think they're going to play the game. Yeah, I I think we'll uh, you know that comes out at su- Sunday night at six p.m. Sunday, I, I think by then we'll know. Um, and. I mean, I, 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 I mean, Kyle, I, I swear, um, 
you know, we're we're talking uh, on Thursday. Uh, by Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, it, it may already be decided. Yes. Um, I, I think I think it it is that fluid, as you said, and um, and nothing. I mean, we, we are. I mean, I, I had somebody tell me today. Well, China's doing really well right now. Well, yeah. I mean, they'd be, you know, while while we were mostly ignoring what was happening in China in December, January, and February, they were dealing with what we're about to be dealing with now. That's true. That's true. And I, and, and I would I would encourage anybody out there. I, I know he might not be for everyone, but uh, I, th- I thought Joe Rogan did a tremendous sit down with with Michael Osterholm, who's one of the leading public health and epidemiology or epidemiologists in the country and public health officials, where he said what you just said almost to a T. He said, look, we were telling you back in December, we were predicting this thing would probably pop around the end of February, early March here in the States and that it's likely going to get worse before it gets better, and that will impact sports. And sports are secondary. We all understand that, but it is what we do for a living. And it's a, it's a very, very, I think, scary but also fascinating time to be in this business because if there are no sports, well, as Sports Talk Radio hosts, what are we talking about? And right now it's the coronavirus and the way it's impacting the world of sports. And, and Paul, I, I realize you and I and Roman could go on about this all day, and it, it would be certainly interesting, but I do want to get some college football talking with you because – we love the sport. A lot of people out there love the sport. The, the three of us talking right now, and I want to start here because you went to Tennessee, he went to Alabama, I went to Virginia Tech. There, Those are three places that we know love college football and, and have great home field advantages traditionally and wonderful venues and that sort of thing. I'm reading another article yesterday, Paul, about how for the sixth consecutive year, college football attendance has dropped overall. Uh, it's still a, a sport that we all love, but it's been written about a lot lately. What is your perspective on the declining attendance in college football? Is it unique? Is it just all of sports and college football is being touched as well? What can anybody do to reverse that trend? Kyle, as someone who's at a at a, at a site every Saturday morning talking to fans and, and administrators, that is not a surprise. Uh, everywhere I go, uh, the athletic directors are, are, are really uh, crying about this issue. And I don't think it's reversible. I really don't. Uh, and, and I'm sure your audience is wondering, well, what's the problem? Why are people not going? Well, there are a number of issues. Uh, if you start with young people, they don't like to, 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 to be stuck in a stadium when they can't communicate with their friends. Uh, that sounds trite if you're 60 or 70 years old. But uh, if you're 19, you want to communicate uh, on social media. And, 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 and Wi-Fi is never good. Uh, at, at a football stadium, regardless of, of where you are. Uh, if you're older, uh, you, you say to yourself, why do I need to get in the car, uh, drive three hours or four hours or two hours or, and, and sit in line and park uh, two miles from the stadium and, 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 and go through that experience and have the same issue uh, going home, especially if it's a night game, when I can sit at home and watch every game on TV. I think television is the real enemy. Um just in the last couple of years, you've had the uh, the advent of the SEC network uh, and the and the ACC network, which means the worst game, the, the game that you uh, that, uh, that that Kyle, the two of us would nowhere be caught dead at, is still going to be on television. That's right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech, Virginia. That that's a game that uh, you wait around for. Alabama, Auburn. But I mean, Alabama and and and. You know, UT and Chattanooga is a game I wouldn't have gone to. Now, now Roman liked that game for one reason. He could pad his stats. <laughs> also, he didn't play the second half. <laughs> he didn't have to play the second half of that game. That's you know, so true. That's what you look forward I to. I mean, us. look, Paul's putting it right on it. And look, 
I mean, these worst games that he's talking about, I used to call those that early morning Jefferson Pilot sports game, yeah, right? Absolutely. That was like we were up at like 10.30. Well, we, the game was kicking off at like 10.30, 11. We had to be up at 6 a.m. It was the absolute worst. And Paul's right. I mean, I, but how do you – what do you say to the TV networks that are putting all this money into these – owning the rights yeah. to all these games? And these, these the same hand that's feeding us is probably the worst enemy. Yeah, I mean, I work for one of those networks, and, uh, you know, you know, people want to cry about the ACC or the SEC, but uh, the SEC network uh, probably pumps about $40 million into every college campus mm-hmm. uh, that they, weren't, they wouldn't be getting, and uh, that supports every other program, as you know. I mean, it's, ama- it's amazing, uh, and we all think all these programs make a fortune. They don't. No. Um, they're not even a lot of basketball programs don't even don't even make money, and and the other ones certainly don't. Even though baseball programs around the ACC and and the SEC, I mean the stadiums are are beyond beyond comprehension, but uh, they cost a lot of money, and so does travel. So uh, I I I think this is a real problem. I I, I frankly believe that the major leagues should play more conference games, at least the worst conference game. And by the way, there's some pretty bad ones. Uh, are are still better than than the than the than that third week in September game b- between uh, you know North, North Carolina and Stetson or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, I mean th- those games just drive me crazy. Um, and 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 I, and I think we need less of them as opposed to more. Uh, I frankly think the playoffs should be expanded to give teams a, an opportunity. If you if you lose a game like that, you survive. Uh, but I don't think it's fixable, uh, at least any time in the near future. So, Paul, you brought up a great point because I'm one of the guys that always – I'm beating on a big time. Me and Kyle, we go back and forth about the playoff expansion. Yep. All right, I'm one of those. I'm big-time Republican when it comes to college football. <laughs> I only like the Power Five, and I don't really care about the little oh, guys. Yeah. All right, I'm big-time <laughs> on it. I'm not lying. I'd well, never no, back off of it. What I told him the other day was he, he's in that Andy Staples, Stuart Mand- – I think it's the Stuart Mandel camp where he just wants to shrink it down to 24 teams and kick everybody else out. I, I don't care. Like, I know. But at the end of the day, those are the best teams. I would love for them to get rid of all of the non-conference games, the little beat-up games that we pay all these other big school, schools for, which I understand because it helps them get the money. But – Let's just make it all even, but will everybody else do it as well? So, do you you would get punished right now if you were to get rid of all the playing against all the other teams because you know playing the SEC is tough. So, if you had to double back and play another team, it gives them another opportunity to to knock you off, and now you don't have the same record. So, how could we do that without making it fair? How could we all do it to where everybody would have to do it all at the same time? Well, the problem is, is and I'm I'm trying to, and you, you need to help me, Kyle, uh, because. One ACC game looks like the next one to me. That's I don't know right. if the AC plays. Does the ACC play nine conference games or eight? No, they're playing eight right now. Um, but, okay, and I think so, that you're, that's part I mean, of the, the huge ACC problem. The ACC and the SEC are, are in this boat alone. I've asked uh, I've asked coaches in the SEC, and uh, right now uh, there may be uh, there may be a second one. But Nick Saban's been the only one advocating nine conference games. The reason that it, it, you'll never believe why the league doesn't want nine conference games is because if you have if you have uh, if you if you have seven you know seven s- schools on every side, that means everyone's going to have another conference loss, and th- that conference loss may keep you out of uh, the game in Shreveport or or Nashville or, or Charlotte or anywhere else for that matter. And that's important to the conference. I mean, the three of us probably think how ridiculous, but uh, if you're Mississippi State. 
uh, or South Carolina, and you're trying to to win a bowl, you know, win the, win a get to a bowl game to save your job or make your budget, it's a, it's a big deal. And and I think there's just so many teams in the middle who end up five and seven or six and six that that extra game really matters to them. Now back to uh, the elitists of the world like Roman Harper and myself. <laughs> um, I don't really care. I mean, I don't care whether South Carolina makes a bowl game or not because I want to see the best possible uh, championship. Thank uh, you. It, you know, another you know the forty second or forty third or forty fourth bowl game uh, played before Christmas Day is not going to phase me in the least. I'm with you. And, and if you've been to Shreveport, it's a it's a terrible hey, bowl they, game. They have a nice casino. It's, it's <laughs> and none of the players are old enough to go. I, Trust me, I was one of those guys I will not sla- that I will spent not, my Christmas in Shreveport Roman, to do nothing. I will not stand for Shreveport slander on this podcast. <laughs> hey, Roman, I live, I, I live there for a year, so don't tell me. <laughs> well, see, I, you make a good point, Paul, because, look, the, the eight conference game schedules is frustrating, but also in this league, like when Virginia Tech and Miami and Florida State have all been down, the ACC's been a dumpster fire. When you have, you know, four or five at most, quote-unquote, football schools, but your scheduling is only allowing for, you know, Clemson to come to Blacksburg once every six years or for Virginia Tech to go to Tallahassee once every six years, I, you're hamstringing yourself, in my opinion. Why can't, Why is the conference not willing to do more about that, in your opinion? I, I, yeah, I mean, your point is good, and, and I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, we're seeing Alabama play Georgia. Uh, in Tuscaloosa in, is on September 19th. We haven't had that game, what, since uh, 2008. That's right. Uh, in the regular season is what I mean. Um, for Georgia fans, it's happened too many times uh, in, in the postseason. Uh, I, I can't explain it, but, I mean, we, we think differently than than the commissioners think when they're sitting down at the table with all these quote-unquote member institutions, uh, it's it's amazing. And as I've worked, uh, as I've gotten to to, to know this uh, this this type of bureaucracy more, working where I do, uh, it it it, it's almost a socialist society where where everyone is equal. When we all know everyone is not equal, Uh, (laughs) Alabama's better than everyone else in the SEC year in year out. Uh, In in the ACC, Clemson is better than everyone else. Year in year out, and and you, you can't make you can't make Van, you can't make Vanderbilt and Alabama on the same plane, right? Nor nor can you uh, make Wake Forest and, and and Clemson on the same on the same level. It just doesn't work. It doesn't. It really doesn't. Now, and Paul, in the interest of time, because I know you got some things you have to get to, I'm just looking at some of the latest headlines. I'm already seeing spring games being canceled around the country. Now, we know that, that students on these campuses across the country have been told to stay home for extended spring breaks. They're moving a lot of things to online classes in some places for the rest of the semester. At, at this point, are you optimistic that we see much of anything in the way of spring football this year? No, I'm not. Um, and, you know, everything, uh, pretty much everything uh, in most leagues have been canceled to the end of the month. But but back to what you have said uh previously in this conversation things are not going to get better no so uh you, you can't just wave some wave a, a wand and and throw some pixie dust out there so I, I i think spring games will be canceled um they're probably the least dangerous of all the events that we're talking about here but uh i, I just think it's it's going to you know universities are going to be proactive and and i mean i i have uh, about like like a lot of people about seven or eight uh, different trips uh, that are scheduled uh, in April and May, I mean, I'm. I, I look. Uh, I, when I canceled my my, my trip this week, uh, I looked at my American Airlines app. I mean, I've got nothing in there. I mean, and, <laughs> and by the way, if you do, you're crazy because you're probably not going. You know what, Paul? I, I got to. We got to take this back because I want to know this, Paul Feinbaum. 
the now I got you on my show, so I'm a, I'm a, can take control of this. All right, so you graduated in '78 from Tennessee, all right, and you joined the Birmingham Herald in like 1980. So what were you doing in those two years right. when all of a sudden you were just you were gone? And also, all right, in 1993, you were the one that broke the story on Antonio Langham signing with the agent when he while he was playing football at the University of Alabama. I know Langham very well. That's my boy. So why, Paul? Why did you do that to us? Go ahead. Yeah, you know, the interesting part about the Langham story, um, <laughs> the the, uh, the reason I got that story, mm-hmm. is, and this is crazy, uh, there was a communication between Alabama and the SEC office, and, and a copy was sent to a, a law firm, mm-hmm. and some guy, uh, in the, some law clerk was filing the mail one night, and he, 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 he saw it, and I, I don't remember, it's been 25 years, but he opened it. And he called me. He did get fired and he did get prosecuted, but I had one heck of a scoop. Um, and that's how we broke that story. And, and the thing about that, Roman, is, uh, if Alabama had just turned themselves in and uh, fallen on the sword, Langham would have missed uh, two games. And uh, instead, uh, Kyle, this is the way things used to be. Alabama decided to fight the NCAA, right. and they ended up with three years' probation. <laughs> and, 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 and it was eventually knocked down, but. Uh, that was the day when, uh, and then then what happened afterwards in college football is everyone started uh, uh, working with the NCAA. They found out that didn't work, so now we're back to a period where everybody fights the NCAA and doesn't. It, I mean, look at North Carolina and the academic fraud. I mean, they they spent twenty five million dollars, uh, money well spent, by the way. They got yeah. a national championship out of it. Right? Yeah, no doubt. And also, all right, another example was. Philip Fulmer thing, right? Whenever the, all the rumors were Philip Fulmer told on Alabama right. when I was on campus, right? And we got put on probation, which I got to go to Hawaii for two years, so I wasn't all the way mad. We had a two-year bowl ban, for those that don't know, so we got to go to Hawaii under uh, Dennis Franchoni. But all of a sudden we looked up, and everybody was so mad at Philip Fulmer. They said that Tennessee had told and blah, blah, blah. And then Philip Fulmer caught word and didn't show up to the SEC media days that year. So I know, Paul, you were there. How was that yeah, whole world? Uh, what yeah, was Kyle, that like being there? That was a great story. Uh, Fulmer um, did media days by uh, by speakerphone. Um, this was quite a wonderful time in my, my career, uh, <laughs> Roman, watching Alabama burn, I have to tell you. <laughs> Paul, we, you were not – I'm telling you, I what you were writing in the Birmingham Post Herald that year was showing up in the Tuscaloosa – like on my campus newspaper – Every week, it had a write-up on what Paul Feinbaum was saying and things hey, like and this. Kyle, my favorite story of all time. Uh, not to, uh, were you there in 2003, Kyle uh, Roman? Yes, I was. So Alabama, this guy Dennis Franchoni leaves to go to Texas A&M, which right. every Alabama fan was in shock over. And they hired a guy named Mike Price from Washington State. Uh-huh. He had just went to the Rose Bowl. I remember it well. Had Ryan Leaf there. He never made it to the first game. He yeah. got fired after <laughs> uh, being caught at a strip joint uh, in Pensacola, Florida. That's how crazy things were in Alabama. I and, 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 and I will say this. I've never broken. I've never revealed this. But in that strip joint with, with Mike Price that night was one Roman Harper. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Hey, Paul. Before, I won't deny it, Paul. Before we turn you loose here, I've, I've got to ask, because I know you, you addressed this, I, what was it, about a month ago at this point, but I'll ask you anyway, because I, and I don't, not about uh, your future plans of employment or anything like that, but <laughs> the, the speculation that Paul Feinbaum was getting his own sitcom about his life and could be moving on from, you know, the, the institution that is the Paul Feinbaum show, you, you can address all that, but I'm fascinated by the idea of Paul Feinbaum's life being told via sitcom how real was that, or how real is that? Is that something you might still be interested in? 
It's very real. Um, in fact, uh, in August, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very long story, but uh, a couple of producers came to me about two years ago. Uh, we, we worked on a proposal, and last August, uh, we spent a couple of days in Hollywood meeting with the I mean, heads of studios, uh, not just uh, comedy people, but the president of networks. And it's still under development. Um, there, there's a new group that's now involved, a very successful group, um, that produces a lot of a lot of successful uh, sitcoms, and, and the concept is just a uh, it's a sitcom about uh, what we do. Uh, it, it would probably be set a little bit uh, farther back in my career. Mm-hmm. As one of the as one of the executives asked me because he said, "Do you want to play yourself?" I said, "Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> I said, no, "I mean, I want some stud-looking Hollywood actor like <laughs> Matt Damon playing me, not not somebody who looks like me." And uh, but but it could happen. I mean, but but I will tell you, it, it's a very uh, and you know we we are sticking right now. We're still with uh, the main networks. Obviously, there's a million other places to go um in terms of the netflix amazon hulu the whole deal and netflix is actually uh, looking at a documentary on 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 our show as well so i mean there's some wild things that are going on but kyle you know in this business uh if you're not looking or if you're not looking to explore your opportunities you're you're getting trampled that's true now i'm just trying to imagine who would play paul feinbaum in in this in this sitcom like i'm thinking like a a patrick stewart very distinguished maybe or like a ben kingsley i'm I'm, that's who i'm thinking of when i think yeah well that's why i'm pushing hard to to get it more like a 35 year old paul (laughs) (laughs) than someone uh swimming through his 60s so paul i want to know this because you got to take us through this story i mean you, you've become a, a living legend, and especially in the Southeast, when it comes to covering college football and all the great things and the stories that you've broken. You started off as, as just a, as the beat writer, and then from there you moved to radio, and then from there now you're on TV. Can you say, can you really speak upon the fans, the people that have called, and really and how you've been able to stay right ahead of the, the curve when now that the newspapers have kind of gone away and now radio doesn't get as many hits and now the TV syndicate is where it's at. Like, you've just been able to just stay right on hot and right on pace with everything like that. And it kind of speaks upon what you were just saying, always looking for that next opportunity and really just speaking upon that and how you've grown from that and what all you've seen through the years. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, it's something that just – I think being a newspaper guy forced me to do it because, I mean, I looked up one day and realized that nobody was reading my column. (laughs) And uh, I branched into radio. Television was the most difficult thing for me. my first big uh, assignment for ESPN, I mean, they didn't start me on uh, some minor show. I was in Clemson, South Carolina, uh, nearly seven years ago uh, doing college game day for the Georgia-Clemson game, and I was scared to death. I mean, I looked out, and there were 20,000 people, and, and there's, there's Lee Corso and Herb Street, and, I mean, I was quivering. Uh, but I got through it, and uh, and I realized that uh, it's like you you playing in your first uh, – Super Bowl or, or, or NFL game, Roman, or national you know, uh, title game or whatever. I mean, you, you just get adapt to it. I, I'm still not comfortable in front of a camera, but uh, I've learned how to deal with it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still trying to do – I mean, I, I think that the, the message in all of this is that I'm still looking for something else, as we, we were discussing with the sitcom. And I, but it's not a matter of just being crazy. It's just, uh, it's just kind of the way I'm, I'm geared. But – but I do love what I do. I don't, I don't want anyone to misunderstand that. I mean, it, it's it's pretty cool just to, to be, and when you think about what's happening around us today, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty cool to be sitting around listening to uh, fans argue about sports. It really is. Uh, and by the way, just to come full circle in this conversation as we close it up, as we started this, this conversation discussing the coronavirus, the impact on sports, and the likelihood that 
Uh, things will have changed again by the time we even hit save on this podcast. Uh, another athlete is now tested positive for the coronavirus. Donovan Mitchell, now of the Utah Jazz, has tested positive for the coronavirus. So I think that's probably an indicator of things still yet to come. Paul, we appreciate your perspective, your time, all that stuff. Like I said a moment ago, you're not only a legend, you're an inspiration to a lot of us who got started in this business in the last uh, five or ten years. We appreciate you so much. Todd, that means a great deal. Roman, uh, love to do this anytime. Thanks for the invitation, guys. Thank you so much, uh, Paul. And uh, keep pushing those uh, fans' buttons, man. They respond to you vividly, and we all appreciate it. Will do. Thanks, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us. Big thanks to Paul Feinbaum for joining us. He's just got good insight, Rome. He's he's been around for so long. He's seen so many things in sports. Like you, you could just you get the sense talking to Paul, not much phases him anymore. No man, he's seen a lot. He's been around a lot, and you know he's been there through the the good days of the SEC, the bad days of the SEC, especially Alabama. And now, look at it, he's back on top again. And just Paul Feinbaum for all the great things he's been able to do in his 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 life, his his legacy of of football and in the SEC. I just really, really am thankful for him to come on with us and share a little insight in uh, his beliefs and his his opinions on everything going on in the sports world today. Right there with you. So we got more to do, hopefully, so long as uh, the world doesn't end. And uh, we'll have Episode <laughs> 5 coming up in the next couple of days. Again, big thanks to Paul Feinbaum for joining us. For Roman Harper, I'm Kyle Bailey. This has been the Clubhouse Podcast. <laughs>